You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, good morning, church. Thank you. So good to have you once again. Let me, let's, let's rise and then uh, let's jump into this book of Hebrews. We're entering into chapter 8 this morning. So you can turn to your journals and follow along, your new journals that are in your hand. Or you can see it on the screen and then we'll mark those journals up like crazy this morning, uh, finding out what the Lord has for us. So let's, let's read uh, Hebrews 8, 1 through 7 this morning. It says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is the word of God. Awesome. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the text this morning. Jesus, we come before you, our holy, holy, holy priest and king and God. And we want to just soften and, and quiet our hearts, Lord, before you to hear what you have to say to this church, to us. And so help us, Lord, uh, revere you, honor you glorify you more so than we've ever done before and i pray jesus that we as a church will do this as a community of people that love you that gather here on sunday and then go and practice what we've heard uh, to the people around us through the week and then come and do it again and so help us lord be that church be the church that gives an example to the world around us that you love them, that you've come to die for them and to rise them up again in eternal life when they surrender to you. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Let's let's, uh, grab a seat. Well, last week I blessed you with another amazing diagram. If you weren't here, there was an incredible diagram of Aaron and the priesthood. If you missed it, you can see it online. But really what it was is a reminder how, you know, you know, your pastor is not good at everything. All right. So like I can't draw worth anything. Michael actually took that drawing and, and put it into AI and out came Moses. So I was close to Aaron. This is his brother. But that's kind of what uh, the drawing you missed. But last week we talked about this, this, this tribe of Levi. Remember that one part of the diagram was all the tribe of Levi. And there's this priest under Levi. We also talked about Melchizedek. Uh, and how Melchizedek is this, this one that is, has come and, and is in the tribe of no, no genealogy. And we learned all about this Melchizedek. And, but the main point of last week and the weeks previous and the weeks to come, the main point is Jesus' supremacy. 
Jesus' Levitical supremacy. And we learned about that. We had, we had three basic lines. If you would draw it out, it's like Levi, Melchizedek, and then Jesus. And you see this great, great high priest in Jesus. This Levitical, eternal, superior priest. And it was such a sweet thing for me to study and me to proclaim to you. And, and I'm praying and that it will continue, continue to transform you to understand Jesus' glory and honor and how we ought to live under his priesthood. And it's eternal, right? We've learned in multiple places that his, his eternal priesthood is our source of salvation. And, and throughout Hebrews thus far, in ways, we've, we've seen this amazing proclamation. But this isn't going to be the last we hear about it either. This priesthood is continued to be talked about for the next couple chapters and throughout the letter because it's, this author is constantly reminding this little church and this little Hebrew church that Jesus is the one you to be going after. He is the priest that you're looking for. Don't go back to the old Judaism. Go back to the new and see, the reason this church and we along with them need the reminder over and over and over again is that we forget. We drift. We saw that in chapter 2. We drift away. We get distracted. We put our hope on lesser things. We easily forget the majesty of the King. And when I wrote this line out in my notes this week, man, I reflected this week on, on the things that I miss out that I drift away from. It's a constant drifting. That we forget the majesty of the king. And when I wrote down king in my notes, I put it in capital letters. He's the king of kings. But in 2024, we don't think of kingdoms, do we? Unless we're watching a movie, of course, or reading a book, or watching a TV show about kingdoms, then we kind of think about kingdoms. But we don't put it into our context. But kingdoms and kings, they feel a bit foreign. But as Christians, we should think regularly, regularly of the kingdom. See, in our thoughts about this shouldn't be fairy tale like but placed in reality. Because we do have a king. We do have a priest. We do have a kingdom that we live in. The grace of this kingdom, this, this God over all things, we live under His presence at all times. And many don't hold Him as king, but that is part of the mission, isn't it? The ones who proclaim Him as king, isn't that part of the mission? to the sojourners of the land, the ones that just kind of walk around and do their daily rhythms? Aren't we the ones that recognize that we're actually in a kingdom, a, a gracious kingdom, a merciful, steadfast, and love kingdom? Aren't we to make the king known? It's actually our mission statement as a church to help the sojourners of the land know that they reside in a kingdom, how they are to do friendship. And we did a community walk yesterday, which was so sweet. And I, I'm not sure if you noticed, but just I was watching other people walk by us, especially when we stopped and kind of gathered everybody around and then we started again and instantly got dispersed because of the speed of travel from some and others. But I watched other people's faces. I, I'm a people watcher. And so I saw other people's faces and they noticed us big time. But we ought to give a reflection of our king. 
how they do friendship, how we care for the homeless, how we care for the needy, how we care for the unborn and the orphan, how we care for the widow, how we do marriage, how we do singleness, how we then worship, and all these things and more are ways we express our servanthood and surrender to our King. Everything that we do ought to be that. And that's the greatest commandment that we constantly hear from Jesus, right? All of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that you do ought to reflect me and my love for you. And the king is returning. Going back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we see that one day Jesus will return as king. And he's going to take this creation and roll it up like a garment and perfectly judge it. That in, even I think it is in, I can't remember exactly the chapter right now because all the chapters have flown into one another. But quickly, it's in chapter 4, right around verse 13. And no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the, the rolling up of the accounting of the perfect judgment that the king is going to give. And this author is constantly reminding us that in this kingdom we worship. We worship, we praise Him in all that we do. And we are to be a perfect light and a perfect image, a great image of who He is and what He has done for us. And here at the beginning of chapter 8, we get the main point why the author has been dwelling on this priesthood and supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is the real priest. He's the real over the copy. He's the greater than, the priests before him, and he sits with the king. So three points for us this morning. The outline, you can jot them in your new journals, is that we have a better high priest, verses 1 and 2. Jesus brings a better sacrifice, and Jesus has a better ministry. So let's unpack this as we continue to work through this amazing letter to the Hebrew church and really to us as well. So the first one there, the better high priest. Verses 1 and 2, I've chunked it out this way. I'm hoping it works out on the screen online. But, but this is sometimes when you chunk out the passage, it helps it, helps it kind of click. Like I didn't take any words out. I didn't remove or add any words. But just take a look at it. You can see now there's a list in this. And this is a lot of times how I, I get some of these points uh, from the Scripture. But you can take it there. Just read it in that way, and I'm going to slow down as we read it. But it says this again, verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. The point of all of chapters 1 through 7 is this. We have such a high priest. And then the author gives us three points. And you can actually extend it to more if you wanted, but I just put it to three. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So let's go through those three points. But before we get into this, there is something important to note. The author uses we here twice. Meaning that there is a collective group of people that agree with this exhortation. Remember, this book is an exhortation to the Hebrew church. You're walking astray. You're drifting from Jesus. So this exhortation is from a collective group of people. And you can jot down in your notes, in your journals, Hebrews 13, verse 24, and look it up after. 
But the author is not alone, and neither is this church. And for us in 2024, neither are we. See, Christianity exploded, exploded onto the world stage at the cross of Christ. And this author, along with the saints of Italy, are reminding this small church, don't look back to what was, look toward who is. Don't look back to what was, the, the, the Levitical priesthood, look toward who is in Jesus. Don't miss this. It's an exhortation. It's a strong encouragement. Don't miss Jesus or you'll miss everything. And they say this with the words, we have such a high priest. We have such a high priest. This is pointing back to all we discovered in the last two weeks in chapter 7 and the weeks before that Jesus has an indescribable life. He is eternal. So how do you actually describe that? It's going to take you eternity to describe Jesus. It's an indescribable life. You can't understand it. And we learned this last week in chapter 7. And that there's no need for another priest after him because he's eternal. So we don't need another priest. He is perfect in his priesthood. And he lasts forever. He is able to save to the uttermost. He draws us to God. He is the better hope, the guarantor of a better covenant. He intercedes for us. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And he is exalted above the heavens. This is Jesus, the high priest. He is supreme. He's the better priest. Then we get the first point on the list that he's seated. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this teaches us a few things. The most obvious to the people at this time, in a ways, would have been that the priest was sitting. Maybe we don't recognize that because we don't have this understanding. But the more you read this, you'll recognize that the Levitical priesthood, those three columns of Levi, Melchizedek, and Jesus, the only one sitting is Jesus. All other priests before him were standing. Every time they would go and offer sacrifice, they would stand and they would remain standing because the, the sacrifice was not good enough. It was not good enough. Jesus is the only one that sits. And this theme is throughout the book of Hebrews. We see it again in chapter 10, verse 12. We see it again in chapter 12, verse 2. But we also see this theme of sitting most evident throughout the Scripture in the book of Revelation right at the end. This, this Savior King, this Lamb of God that has finished all things, we see it ten times in the book of Revelation. So the Bible is telling us a story of something here. That the ones before were, were accomplishing a task, they were doing a job, and it wasn't quite yet finished until Jesus came. And then everything was accomplished. Even him on the cross, you remember, he said, it is finished. And he sits beside the Father in the glory. See, Jesus, the better priest, sitting would have been something this Hebrew church would have noticed. It would have most likely shocked them a, a little bit. And the Bible, like I said, is getting at something here. That Jesus has a better rest for you. Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is more faithful in his role. And the image of the great high priest sitting is an image of finality. His job, Jesus' job is finished. And the former priest had to remain standing because the sacrifice they gave needed to happen daily. Not only for the people, but for themselves as well. They were sinners as well. 
But Jesus, like I've said already, like chapter 7 says, that he is holy and innocent, unstained by sin. Jesus' priesthood was better. The glaring application here is that Jesus is worthy of your trust to come to him. Linda announced prayer cards. And on your bulletins, there's a place where you can actually write a prayer request and share it with us and drop it in the, the box back there. And I want to become more of a praying church because we pray to the eternal, living Savior, King, and Priest. Next, we see Jesus in the holy places. This is the greater meeting place. The people of God wandered through the desert setting up a tent. But here in contrast, Jesus, the better priest, was reunited with the Father in glory. And this wasn't merely a tent, but a place the Father designed and resided in fully in the heavens. And we see this already, or we have seen this already in chapter 6, verse 19, where it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And so everything in the in the temple was a shadow, was, a, was something present. We're going to see this more in chapter 9, but, but this is what we're getting towards. This, this temple that was made by man was lesser than this temple that was in the heavenlies. Again, the better priest. He is seated in the heavens, in the true tent made by God, not man, See, man's tent was merely a shadow. The true temple is with God in glory. And only Jesus was worthy of entering into that praise. So our requests of Him, our running to Him, our faith in Him is, is sure because He's worthy of all of it. So we can come to Him, a listening high priest and the cherry on top, if you needed one, is Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, the place of glory and honor, which also we've seen already. Remember back in chapter 2, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. You can write in chapter 2, verse 9 right there. He was crowned with glory and honor. He's perfectly the king, the priest, the one that takes the sacrifice for us, that he might take the sin penalty on our behalf. And this letter is continually pointing and drawing us to Jesus' supremacy here Levitically. Secondly, Jesus is the better sacrifice. In verse 3, we can see this on the screen and or in your books. It says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Remember the priest, the of, of men, of Levi, the tribe of Levi, were, were to bring gifts and sacrifices. That also is a shadow of what needs to take place in the heavenlies. So that's why it is necessary for also this high priest, this, this, this priest of eternality, also must bring a gift, a sacrifice to offer. And clearly the duties of the priest are to offer gifts and sacrifices. We have seen this over and over again, but also as you read through the Old Testament, you will come across this over and over again, this giving of a sacrifice to God and also this giving of the sacrifice by the priest for himself. You actually see this in Leviticus 4.35. 
where it says, And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. See, this is the sacrifice the priest is making for himself. It is laid out in the law, but it is a shadow. It's a type that is lesser than the perfect sacrifice, the the perfect sacrifice that Jesus brings because he, as I've said already, is innocent and holy. He's perfect. So when he brings a sacrifice, it's not for himself. It's for us. It's for us. He's the better sacrifice. So what does this priest in verse 3 of Hebrews 8 have to offer? Well, first of all, Jesus is a million steps above the rest. In fact, there is no gauge or number you can actually give. I just threw down a million here, but it's not even close. There is no gauge or number we could use to show the difference between Jesus and the other priests. Simply the gauge or difference would be He is God and others are not. He is perfect. In the case for Himself, for Jesus, He has no need to offer a sacrifice like because I've said over and already, even this morning, is that He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and He is exalted above into the heavens. Jesus is unlike any priest before Him. And I'm saying this over and over so that we get this, like I prayed even at the start of this sermon, that we would come to a point in our hearts and our minds that we would revere Him. That we would think of Him as holy, in this kingdom that we live, He is so good to us. This is the one we worship, friends. This is the one we can come to every single day. He is the perfect sacrifice. So Jesus brings not a lamb, a goat, or an animal. He brings Himself. And a sweet theological term is that he is the penal substitutionary atonement, meaning he takes the penalty we deserve. The penalty of sin and death. Because he is pure, he gets to take it for us. And he substitutes himself for us. Giving us all the righteousness of himself, atoning for us the sin that we deserve to pay. He atones for us perfectly by taking the sacrifice for us. He's the penal substitutionary atonement. The atoning sacrifice for all those who believe upon him for salvation. Jesus is the far greater sacrifice. There's nothing better and nothing to compare him to. He is so above comparison. It's actually foolishness when we start thinking to compare him to something. Jesus is the perfect solution to the problem of sin and death. He is the better, the perfect, the supreme priest, and the supreme sacrifice for the rebellion of the world. Church, this is why the purpose, our purpose, is to make Jesus known through ways of evangelism, evangelizing the unbeliever, the one that doesn't recognize they live in a kingdom, to evangelize them to belief, to believe that they actually are and need to surrender to this king that we live in, this kingdom, to the king. And we disciple them to maturity, to understand deeply who this king is that we serve, this priest that has taken our sacrifice for us. 
And then we live in the loving community, showing the world what it is to live in the kingdom of God. Like we expressed even walking on the beach together and people noticing you that you're di- there's something different about this group. People would walk in twos or threes, but not in 15 or 20. What's going on here? There's something different about these people. And that's good. And now we, maybe the next walk, we start proclaiming to, to others the goodness of Jesus to follow with us, becoming king. So Jesus is the better priest, the better sacrifice, and lastly, Jesus has the better ministry. You can see this in verses 4 through 7. It says, Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow They're lesser than the greater of the heavenlies. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about, and this is the author explaining that sentence, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. I want you to make this temple exactly a replica of what is going on in the heavenlies. And so you see through the Old Testament, all these measurements and Guidance for for Moses. And then in verse 6 it says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. See, there needed to be another covenant with the people. And that's Jesus. So after the but there in verse 6, we see three areas of ministry for Jesus. We see a better covenant. We see better mediation between man and God. And we see better promises. Three things that we see in that text, even just circling covenant mediation and promises in your journals and just seeing the, the things that Jesus takes over in this area here. It's a better covenant. So what are these? Well, let's take a look at them one at a time. A better covenant. This is a reminder again to all of us that this better covenant, you need to understand that there was one before. So if there's a better covenant that's coming, there had to be one before. And that one before was the sacrifice of animals, the shedding of blood, a replication, a a foreshadow of sorts of something greater is coming. This is needed to do actually daily and yearly that you're, as a people, you need to sacrifice and blood needs to be shed for the things that you've done. But because there's just animals, it's not good enough. It was never enough. In fact, last week at the end of chapter 7, verses 18 to 19, we learned that this old covenant was weak and useless because could not save. It was not good enough. And this new covenant is the promise that God will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward Jesus. And the new covenant involves a total change of heart, a circumcised heart, one that is constantly shed, cut off the old and bring in the new. This is a a transformation that is taking place by the Holy Spirit entering into you. Something outside of you needs to save you. And the difference between that message, friends, and the world's message is that the world's message is everything inside you is what you need. You are most powerful. You have all the answers in you. 
And unfortunately, that's a lot of counsel from this world is that you have the strength. You can do this. You're awesome. You're powerful. You can have all these things. You just need to speak them into existence. That's a bunch of lies. It's straight from the pit of hell. The truth of the scripture is saying you suck. You, you have nothing in you that can save you. Nothing. You are dust and you will return to dust. There's nothing inside you that can save you. You need something outside of you to save you. And that's Jesus. And he grants us the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts to become new, to be reborn, not of man, but to be a reborn in spirit, to be new, to be transformed, to become more like him. This is the transformation that takes place. This is the better covenant. And we're going to learn more about this in the next week to come. This is the great covenant of Jesus. It involves total change of heart so that God's people are naturally pleasing to him. It is the recognition that we need Jesus, the perfect someone that is outside of ourselves, to then save us. This is the ministry of Jesus. It's such a sweet ministry. He's come to transform us, to become more like him. And if that transformation doesn't take place in your heart, then you will be eternally broken. There must be a surrender of a recognition that I'm sinful and I need Jesus as my Savior. He has a good ministry. The second area of Jesus' ministry is the better mediation between man and God. And this seems like a no-brainer, right? Like if you came to me and go, Jared, I would like you to be my mediation between me and God, or uh, I want to choose Jesus. You got two options. Take Jer or Jesus. Both start with J. But I'm pretty sure 100% of the time, and I would encourage you 100% of the time, take Jesus every single time. Because my mediation is faulty. I'm sinful. I need a Savior. I need mediation. Why would you come to me or any man, for that matter? And there's a, there's a big religious movement going on, which you all know of. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. But they pray to saints. They pray to a pope. They, in fact, pray to Jesus' mother, Mary. It's faulty. You're going to someone that sinned and died to mediate for you. And the Bible is so incredibly clear on this. One author put it this way, Christ brings divine justice and mercy to bear on our relationship to our Creator. And as man, Christ brings the perfect human obedience we need to be reconciled to God. There is no man, there is no saint that was before us, there is no Pope or Jesus' mom that are sufficient. They all have sinned and died. Jesus is the only true mediation and we see this clearly in the Scripture. If you don't take my word for it, look at the Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It's on the screen. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator. Period. That is it. 
that, between, that mediates between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He is the perfect mediator between us and God the Father. He's the only mediator. We are never to go to another outside of Jesus. And lastly, Jesus' ministry holds better promises. So we have a better covenant, we have a better mediator, and now we have better promises. The promise of forgiveness of sin is incredible. It's incredible. And should be thought of more deeply through the week. Just think about it now for a moment. Jesus forgives you your sin. By His blood. Like, He came in to our jail, our prison of sin. And in the prison of sin, you're not alive. You're actually dead. Buried six feet under. You have no life in you. This is the story of the Scripture. In Ephesians 2, you can look at it, verses 1 through 3. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. You're not alive. That's the lie of the enemy to, to add to. The, the Scripture is clear. It's like you are dead, and then Jesus makes you alive. He gives you life. It is only by Jesus that we live. He is the better promise. And the forgiveness of sin is incredible. And like I said, it should be thought of deeply every day. And that alone should bring us praise and worship to our coming King. And it's the better promise of eternal salvation. Not only does He forgive us our sin, He gives us life eternal. It's it's crazy. While we were still sinners in Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10, still sinners, weak enemies, enemies, He died for our sin that we might be saved. It's crazy. First John 1 John 1.9, when, when we went through First John, it's like that, that when we come and confess to Him and, and are broken over our sin, we confess to Him only by the power of the Spirit to confess, to recognize our sinful nature. And we confess to Him, He is faithful and He's just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Any sin that you committed even this week sitting with this text and just meditating in my office, just going, oh my God, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I have no power to defeat this sin. No power. It's only by your grace that you grant me freedom. Thank you. Your promises are so sweet. And one sweet promise that I want to just close with is that he says, and it's going to come here in chapter 8, that I will be their God. And it says over and over in the Old Testament, 
I'm starting to highlight it in actually in green, big green box. Every time it says something like that, in the Old Testament, you see it all over the place. And here again, and you look in your journals in verse 10, or in your Bibles, chapter 8, it says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. What a sweet promise that is. Marshall Siegel, a blog writer for Desiring God, wrote this about this amazing promise. He said, the word God there in that promise, I will be their God. The word God gives the other four words in this promise their grandeur. His sovereign power and infinite wisdom and unrivaled creativity and scandalous love and unrelenting justice and inexhaustible compassion and mercy, His Godness, make any of His promises beautiful and trustworthy, but especially this one. I will be their God. I will be your God. Church, let this be your application this week. Remember that Jesus is the better priest. Remember that Jesus is the better sacrifice. That Jesus has the better ministry. That He has covenanted with you. That He mediates for you. And then He promises you things you will enjoy eternally by trusting in Him for salvation. May we remember this this week that we live in a kingdom with a king that has paid for our freedom by way of his son and is our purpose now our purpose in all this to take to just be filled with joy and to worship him to worship him so let's, let's do that let's pray and then worship jesus i thank you so much for what you have done for us i thank you that you are the better Everything. These are just three points. You are indescribable. You are indescribable, Lord. No one can describe you. You are eternal. You are our eternal source of salvation. That you are a priest that has gone through all temptation. You are holy, innocent, perfect. And Lord, we need you desperately. Because so easily we drift from you. So help us, Lord, today and the days to come this week to reflect on the beauty of your promises, the beauty of your forgiveness, the beauty of your covenant with us, the beauty of your shed blood for our sin the beauty of your resurrection, the beauty of your promises of return, the beauty of the rejoicing in heaven and the final, the sweet, sweet wedding supper that we're going to partake in one day if we surrender to you, the beauty of the eternal salvation, living with you eternally, praising your name. Lord, help us. Help us surrender to you. And in those things, in those contemplations throughout the week, Lord, protect us. And when different thoughts come in and different memories come in or, or things that we so desire in our hearts of sin, Lord, purge those from us. Help us, Lord, 
Help us run and cut those things away by the power of your Holy Spirit in us that we will submit to you as our King and our Lord and our Priest. And I pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you.